How many of you like sports? It's okay if you don't. You don't have to turn me off for the rest of the night because I'm talking about sports. But if you like sports, how many of you like tennis? How about uh, basketball? How about football? Of course, Texans. I'm a Texan too, but it's okay. Right now, we love sports. But there's one thing that's really important in sports that you don't think about very much. You know what's important in sports? The lines. Think about it. The lines. Without the lines, you don't have a game. You try to play tennis without lines. Do, do people like tennis? I don't know if I should move on from that one. Okay, I'm with you. I play every week. All right, if you like tennis, you need the lines because the lines help you determine who scores and who doesn't or who loses or who wins. Same thing with basketball. Without the lines, there's no structure. There's no game. Of course, people can run around and shoot, but without the lines, you don't have how many points did you score. You don't have who was out, who was in, where do we change possession. Without lines in football, you have just chaos. Can you imagine a running back that didn't have an end zone? All he would be doing is running in circles just hoping these people don't pound me, right? Or what if he ran up into the stands, then out into the parking lot? It wouldn't be fun anymore. So even though lines bring limitations, they also maximize the game. And why do I say that? Because that's the same way we have to look at the laws, the commands that God lays before us. There are some limitations out there, but those limitations are usually wrapped in love and protection for us. But it also helps us to maximize life, particularly the Christian life and how we are to live. And so that's what we're doing. We're looking at some commands. We're looking at some lines, if you will, some guidelines for you and I on how we live our life from a loving God who loves us just like your parents. Nice segue from last week. You like that? Right? Last week we talked about our parents. Now, I know some didn't have great parents and all that, but most of the time our parents laid guidelines. Why? Because they loved us. They want to protect us. They want to guide us the best that they can, even though you were all rebels. Right? They do everything that they can to try to navigate us. And that's exactly what's happening here tonight. So we're going to continue. Now, we've, uh, we've dealt with all of the, if you will, the vertical commands, which deal with us and God. We talked about having no other God, no idols, not taking the Lord's name in vain, having a Sabbath dedicated to the Lord. And so we kind of dealt with that. And then we transitioned into the last six, which are really about our horizontal relationship. They deal with each other and how we interact. And so it starts with the most intimate, which is the family, which we started last week talking about parents and all of that. And that was good. So if you missed that, definitely check that out. But now we transition into the next three. Yes, I said three. We're going to try to make up some ground here because we've been camping out a little longer than I anticipated. But there's something I want to know that I thought was just very interesting and I didn't get to share it last week. And that is that we divide the commandments typically now in modern times the way I just described to you, four and six. Four to God, vertical relationship, six on the horizontal. But it's very interesting to note that the Jewish people they actually divided the commandments five and five. That they saw honoring your father and mother as not a, du a duty to man, but a duty to God. It was that sincere. And if you remember some of the verses we covered last week, we got the really clear picture of how serious it was to them. That was just a free side note for you, but I thought that was so interesting to show us really how important it is. So if you left last week and you were kind of still struggling with do I really want to do that? How do I do that? Let that be just one extra reminder of how important that is to do the best we can. But enough of that. Let's move on. Okay, so we're going to move on to commandment number six. What is commandment number six? 
thou shalt not eat McDonald's. Just kidding. Thou shalt not murder. And immediately go, cool, I'm good. I'll camp out on this one. Let's move on to the next one. I've got this in the bag. If you are struggling with the murder, um, Maybe just don't look left and right, just kind of hang out there. No, I'm just kidding, because the reality is murder does extend into something. But let's deal with something important really first. First, it says a very important word. It says, thou shalt not murder. Now, there's another word that we can associate with murder, and that is the word kill. So we have two words, kill and murder, but very specifically, it says that you shall not murder. And this is important, because there really is a difference between to murder and to kill. Now let me give you some examples. This isn't an end all, but this will help us wrap our mind around this. To kill would fall in the category of things like accidental death, self-defense, a soldier in a just war, police returning fire. These would be categories where if you were to take someone's life, it would fall into the category of to kill. But then you have this other word, which is murder, which comes up in our text, and it's things more like abortion, suicide, assisted suicide, euthanasia. Categories like this help us to see that there are very important differences between the two. Now, if I could pause for just a moment and say, if uh, abortion is something that you're interested in, struggle with, want to hear more about, we actually did a series on the Ten Commandments a few years back, and I spent the whole night on this topic. And so if that's something that you want to hear about, I'd encourage you to go back and, and find that video and watch it. Um, we're not going to talk about that tonight because we've covered it intensely in the past. And I want to be able to show us some other areas. But I do want to make that note because the reality is that topic is always a topic of concern whenever we gather, whether it's now or in the future. And so if you've never just sat down to really think about that, to, to dig into that, I want to encourage you to do that, okay? But so to, to murder, we have abortion, we have suicide, we have assisted suicide, also terrorism, right? These are areas, and so when we look at these two things, we can see there's a pretty clear difference between the two. But then some of you may be sitting there, I'd be impressed if you were, and you may have what we call the new, the new King James Bible or the King James Bible in particular, and you may notice that your word here is actually not murder, but it's to kill, and we have to talk about that for a moment because I don't want you to be led astray. And the King James is a wonderful translation of scripture. But most scholars, biblical scholars, just simply look at that and say, you know what? In the, in the translating of that Bible, that was a moment where they just missed the mark. They just misinterpreted that word because in all the other places, we see it to be translated as the word murder. Now, this is important. Why? Because we saw that God gave moments of the death penalty being approved. God moved in ways where people were involved in losing life. And so there's no way that God cannot fulfill his own commandments, therefore opens up this door that there has to be some kind of understanding, some kind of difference between these two. So we have to kill and we have to murder. So if it helps you to understand the two, then you could understand what's happening here. What is God saying? Do not take the life of someone else. Now, are there exceptions? Yes, to fall on the word to kill. But the reality is what God wants you and I to see is that life is precious, that life is sacred, and that you and I are to be together on this idea that we are to take care of each other, we're to love each other, and we are definitely not to take each other's 
life. This is God's desire. And then we got to wonder, well, where did this come from? Where did all this happen? Well, in the beginning, in the garden, God created all of us to live in harmony together. Didn't last very long. We didn't get to many of the all of us because sin entered into the world. And as soon as sin entered into the world, so did anger, so did pride, so did jealousy, so did hatred. And all of these things, some take time, but all eventually can lead to a place where our hearts get so dark that we might be willing to take an action or... In the category of abortion, we may just not fully understand the desire of God and we find ourselves in a place we didn't intend to be. And so though at first glance you may think this doesn't really deal with me, it's important that we understand where this comes from. There's another one that comes up, and that is just capital punishment, the death penalty. How does that fall? Where do we, we fall on that? Well, if I read to you a verse for a moment, this may help us. In Romans 13, it says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. It goes on, but we get the picture. As something that's been instituted by our government, our expectation from God is that unless it takes us away from the word of God that we are to follow. Now we understand there's a difference between the two, but we also know that throughout the scriptures, God used killing as a way to move through history. And so it helps us to see. So when it comes to the death penalty, may not like it, and that's absolutely fine in your opinion. But when it comes under the government, we are to honor the authorities that have been put in front of us unless it calls us to go against the word of God. But as we see tonight, it doesn't appear to do that. What's the big picture here? It's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. See, we could, we could travel down a bunch of trails of, well, what are the exceptions? How does this work? What if someone breaks into my home and threatens myself or my family. Do I have permission to defend myself and if it were so take to kill them? What do you think? Yes, you do. But if someone were to come into your home, maybe take something that was precious to you, we'll keep it low level, not a person, but just an item that was very important to you. They broke into your home, they invaded your space and your privacy and your security, and they stole something from you, and then they left, but then later on you found them. Do you have permission to kill them? No, see the difference is the heart. A man that's in fear of his family being in danger to step forward and to protect, or a woman, to protect their family and themselves, the heartbeat is a sense of protection and defense. But the man that in that same situation tries to have a repercussion that comes later pulls us into a place where our heart has moved away from God's desire. Now revenge and bitterness and resentment have taken over. So that's a real world situation that we could experience. So don't ever listen carefully. Don't ever find yourself in a situation where you're in danger and you think, I can't do anything because God doesn't want me to do that. That's not reality. That's not true. God wants you to protect yourself. How you decide to do that will be your choice. But that's very important in the culture in which we live today. Now, there's so many rabbit trails we could go on this and so many different exceptions. And if you want, we can talk some more afterwards. But the big picture is the heart. The heart drives the action, and the action matters. If you're a soldier in war, in a just war, you have permission by God to participate in that war. That may not be your choice, and you may decide not to go to war, and that's absolutely fine. 
But for the soldiers that have been called throughout the scriptures, we see that to take place. But if someone were to do something to you and make you so mad that you choose to respond in a way of killing them, you might be stretching yourself outside of the boundary. So think about the heart. Let the heart drive us in this area. By the way, just one side note. 1 John 3.15 says this, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So in case you were going, good thing this didn't deal with me, um, if there's any kind of hatred in your heart, in God's eyes, it's really no different. It's about the heart. The heart truly is what drives the life of the Christian. Now, let's look at number seven. Do not commit adultery. Again, you may be going, this is a great night. I'm not dealing with any of these. I'm feeling really good about myself. My, my little Christian radar, I don't know if that exists, is going up a little bit. My notches are getting, I'm feeling really good, maybe a little bit closer to God. This is so great. Let's talk about this for a moment. Exodus 20, 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. What is adultery? It's an extramarital act, an extramarital affair, an extramarital act against your spouse or against the spouse of another. Don't miss that last part. Anything outside of marriage would be against adultery. Now, as a pastor myself, officiating weddings, I've now officiated eight, doesn't really matter, but just so you know, officiated eight weddings. All eight of them are still married. I'm very proud of that. Um, but as a, as a, the, the opportunity to officiate weddings is such a glorious thing. But the reality is the most important day is not the first day, it's the last day. It's to see, did they cut it short? Were they premature? Did they give up on each other? Did they pursue other things and allow the spouse not to stay there? Or did they endure all the way to the end, all the way to glory, if you will? That truly is the most important day. And this is so important. As a matter of fact, do you notice in the garden when Satan entered in, he entered when? After Adam and Eve had been joined together by God. And we don't really do that too much, but let me say this. Satan loves to attack marriages. It's a great place for him to have reign in the life of many people because here's the thing, when it attacks the marriage, it typically attacks any children connected to it and all the family members around. It is such a massive place. And so though the enemy attacks in all kinds of ways, he loves to take out marriage. And if you've looked lately or heard, marriages are falling apart. Matter of fact, most of you understand that just within your own home. And so we know that Satan is out to get this. So before we just blow over the idea of adultery and think, well, that's not just for me, let's look at this for a moment. First, let's talk about marriage itself. What is a biblical marriage? It's two Christians coming together, male and female, under union covenant with God. That's the difference. Biblical marriage that you would find someone pursuing the Lord as you are pursuing the Lord, someone that wouldn't take you away from your pursuit of God, that would be someone that's not a believer. There's no way you're gonna be able to make that home work, all right? So you find someone that is a believer, and it's, what is it? Male and female, not male and male, not female and female, but male and female. Now, let's pause there for a moment. Let's talk about our culture. We know that we have a, we really, we have a, a same-sex dilemma happening in our country. Now, let me say this up front. We love everybody. That's extremely important as a believer in foremost, but at the same time, we have biblical standards that God has so clearly laid out for us that we are to follow. And so if you're sitting here and you're wondering, like, where do we stand? Do, are we that church that's not for? Or are we that church that's kind of for? We are not for 
same-sex marriage, but we love every person, including people that are struggling with homosexuality, period. But in a biblical standard, there is no exception here. And here's the fear. Here's why I'm even bringing this up. There are many people today in the Christian world that are beginning to adapt their view on this. Um, just re- not too recently, but Jen Hatmaker is a, a very popular female Christian writer, author, speaker, blogger, all the things that they do. And she started to support same-sex marriage. We had an incident just recently with Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible, the translation of the Bible, the Message. Now, he's since retracted his statement, but the fact that it even came up causes great concern for us. And my fear for you, and for myself, but for you, is that as you're following the Lord, and as by just design, you're following people that are following him, we've got to be so diligent in what we allow to wash over us. It's easy for someone to stand on a stage and tell you what they think. It is another thing when you sit down with the word of God yourself and you say, when I examine this book, this is what the Lord says. Now, here's what's happening. For those of you that are going, man, what, why do these people do this? And these are just the most latest two, and I don't mean to, to drop names, but I want you to see how close it is connected to you. If you're holding a message Bible, it's very closely connected to you right now. What happens, I'll give you my best explanation. I think the, the older we get, the more sensitive we get to the things happening around us. If you have a friend that would consider themselves a homosexual, maybe in a relationship or married or whatever the case, You love that person. That's part of who we are as Christians. And the more you get to know them, especially if it's a family member, you find yourself wanting to just, you you don't want them to feel anything negative, but yet you struggle internally with this conviction of what the Lord's laid in front of you. And so there's this great battle going on internally with you. And then the more time you spend with them, the more you get to know them, the more you feel for them, the more you have a heart for them. And then it becomes so easy to just go, well, maybe Maybe there's some way that it's okay. Maybe there's some way where this isn't wrong. I mean, maybe they, they didn't choose it. Maybe it just happened and go on and on and on, and that's not what tonight's about. But I want you to see how it happens. It comes really out of a heart of love. But the heart of love has to stay within the lines of what the Lord has laid down for us through the scriptures, which is so clear. And so what I believe is happening is people are trying really hard to minister to that uh, to that group of people, I'm trying to be as, as, as kind as possible, that group of people, they're not isolated from us, by the way. They're just like us. They're just struggling with this. But we're ministering to that group of people. But like in other areas, if we spend too much time in the community, we can lose sight of the, what God has set as a standard in front of us. I want you to be careful with this. I don't want you to be judgmental. I also don't want you to step into territory that you have no idea what you're doing where you find yourself in trouble. I, I think you need to think about this. I think you need to think long and hard about, if I were to sit down with someone struggling with this, how would I talk to them? What would I say? How far would my conversation go? What are my standards? What do I believe? Do I just listen to what the guy said on the stage? Do I genuinely believe what the word of God says? Before you've dealt with any of that, you don't really need to be having many conversations. But once you've kind of figured that out for yourself, then you have the ability to step in and to show love and to nurture and to care and to maybe even do ministry with us. The Lord calls you. But if you're not prepared here, you open yourself up to a very dangerous thing. And so I just, I want to just lay that in front of you. I think it's so important. So biblical marriage. Now, 
to talk about adultery, in case you're not sure how big of a deal this is, let me just throw a few statistics at you. Here's the thing with statistics in general, but particularly in adultery. You can only get statistics from the people that are willing to admit it. So whatever these numbers are, we know they're not fully accurate, but most likely they're probably higher than they are because most people, particularly the Christians, aren't going to openly admit they're participating in this. But here's what the stats say. This wasn't too long ago. It was a few years, though, so most likely it's higher. 41% of marriages, either one or both party spouses, admit to having an extramarital affair. 41%, and we wonder why 50% end in divorce. 17% of that, by the way, just so you can get some groundwork, are usually it's with a brother or sister-in-law. 17%. So, so what happens is culture grabs a hold of our minds, right, with the movies and all the stuff, even the books now, and, and they get you thinking in this area, and then they get these TV shows that make this look like the normal thing to do, even the right thing or the fun thing to do, and then you as a believer try to stand strong, but yet you've been washed by all these things, and we wonder why the, the weakness is there, and we wonder why the vulnerabilities there or the walls have come now, that's just to set you up and to really begin to think about it. Now, let's talk about us, because almost all of us in the room, we're all single. So you're like, I, I don't got to worry about this yet. And here's what I want to say to you. Yes, you do. Because there are some early warning flags that we can start to make note of in our own personal life, but also with people that we might be sitting at the table with getting to know for a future date. Let me show you a couple of things. Number one, pornography. By the way, pause for just a minute. These are not guarantees, but these are really good indications that there's some reason for concern, okay? Is that, is that understand, okay? I'm not guaranteeing that if you've ever looked at a pornographic picture, which would probably be 100% of the people in the room, and ladies, you too, because Fifty Shades of Grey is about more than that, Okay? If you've looked at a picture, that means you are going to commit adultery. That's not what I'm saying. But if there's repeated behavior in these areas, they are really good indications that there's some reason for concern coming down the road, okay? So let's start with the first one, pornography, okay? To participate in pornography is to be unfaithful to God and your spouse. To participate in pornography is to be unfaithful to God and to your spouse, okay? You're a single this is the time, not that pornography dies when you get married, because it doesn't, but this is the time that pornography is the biggest struggle. We could have had the whole night dedicated to this, and all of you would sit normal like it doesn't bother you, but deep down inside, you would understand that in some way, this affects you, okay? And so this is a really big deal that we want to think about. Now, let's understand it for a moment. To a man, what the body is, is equal to what the mind is to a woman, the body to a man is equal to the mind of a woman. Why do I say that? Your heads are hurting trying to figure out. Why did I say that? Because think of it like this. Gentlemen, when you look, let's say that you're married, okay? You get to play married for a few minutes. When you look at pornography, participate in all When you look at pornography, to you, only the physical is what feels like you've crossed the line. 
And to you, especially if you've dealt with that for a long time, or maybe your family history has led that to be not such a big deal, when you look at that to you, you go, well, I didn't do anything. I just looked at something. At least I didn't go do something with somebody else. And, and in your mind as a male, that makes sense to you. To a female, though, the mind is equal to the body. And so for your mind to begin to think about another woman or woman's plural, to her, you might as well have gone and had a physical affair. Because to a woman, the mind is just as equal as to what a man, the body is. See how this works? And so, gentlemen, we've got to begin preparing ourselves. Someone need to have some tough conversations with ourselves. Okay, obviously no one maybe knows about this, but internally this is a battle for me. I want to start working on this, not just to glorify God, not just for my own benefit, but for the benefit of my future spouse. I don't want this to be a struggle when I get married. And what some people will say is, well, once I get married, this isn't going to be a struggle because I'll be with my wife, right? Wrong. It usually continues into marriage, just affects it in a whole new way. In fact, just uh, this weekend, I was visiting with a couple of people. I was doing a different talk, but this topic came up. And I'm telling you, three different people came up and told me that their marriages ended because of pornography. Because husbands were lost in it. And they were lost beyond control because it had been happening since they were kids. And so what's happening right now in the single life is going to affect the married life. And if you're struggling with pornography, listen, you're already going to be committing adultery with your spouse. But if you struggle with pornography, the human body says, I always want more. Eventually, if you're not careful, you will find yourself moving from the pictures to the physical because it's just human nature. That's why we say in dating, we want to be so slow, right? We want to be so careful with what we do and how far we go because human nature says, I want more. That's why, ladies, when you meet a guy, if you want to help yourself stay physically pure, do not uh, allow him to unveil all of his emotional secrets to you. Because as soon as that happens, you will feel like you know everything about him, and your human nature will then transition you into the natural, which is to move to the physical. For the gentleman, you've got to understand that you think only about the physical. You can deny it. It's okay. But that's what you think about. And so you've got to put up extra guardrails that allow you to stay protected so that you don't go too far. And then what happens is we go, well, in the moment, I'll figure it out. Well, in the moment, you ain't figuring nothing out. you got no control. So we have to set the guardrails up beforehand before we ever get there. By the way, just so you know for fun, do you know what kissing was created for? When you kiss, there are endorphins that pass between the two people. You didn't think you were going to learn all this tonight. Yeah, you're welcome. Endorphins pass between the two of you for one purpose, and that is to ignite sexual arousal. Now, does that mean there's no such thing as a sweet romantic kiss? That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm telling you is the reason it was created was to ignite that sexual desire. So, to the ladies, we think, oh, I'll just give them a few kisses, and it's just so romantic because it's just like what happened in the movie. What always happens in the movie, what comes next, don't forget that, but that's okay. But that's what happens in the movie, and so I just want to know that I love him, and I just want this emotional time, but he wants the physical stuff. I just give him a kiss, and it'll be great. But then as soon as you give him a kiss, it's like, what you everything came alive. And then you wonder why you can't control yourself in the back of the car because there's no way for you to stop. So we've got to have, I know, sorry. You'll be all right. You're adults. 
We've got to set the guardrails up early. Now, what does that have to do with pornography? What's the same picture? Because what you are fueling in you right now is messing with your mind. And listen, guys, listen. And, and ladies, please listen. You're not off the hook. Yes, you have 50 shades of gray. That's a whole problem. But one in three visits to porn sites are by women. Okay, so you're not just off the hook. We just don't hear about it as much. Okay, so this is for everybody. But here's what happens. When you look at these images, these videos, these pictures, whatever, what you're seeing is a false picture of what's to come. And so it paints for you a picture that your spouse is just never going to live up to. And forever, until you've moved through this, they will let you down in these areas. And so this is so important. And for singles, if we can get control of this now, we've positioned ourselves for success in the future. So pornography is an incredible warning sign. By the way, if you... And you don't have to do anything right now to embarrass you. But I want to say this to you. If you struggle with this, this is something that's going on, whether it's big or small, I want to give you one resource. You may have heard this before, but I just want to say it to you. There's a website called CovenantEyes.com. On their website, CovenantEyes.com slash ebooks, they have some incredible resources that will help you just begin to think about this differently, give you some tools and some instruction and some ways that you can begin to take steps to master this. Listen, you don't have to write this down now. I'll post it later. No one will ever know you saw it. But I want you to hear me. This to me is more important, okay? I want you to take a moment. And honestly, in my opinion, everyone in this room should write this down. But I'm not gonna make you do that right now. But everyone should go to this website and read some of these articles. Male or female, it affects you. And so to understand how it works and what it does and ways to conquer it, whether it's you, your brother, your sister, your kids one day, this is valuable, valuable information. But I wanna give you resources, not just tell you what you can and can't do, okay? And so I hope you'll take advantage of that. But covenanteyes.com slash ebooks, you'll find some wonderful tools. Let's move quicker because that took way longer than I anticipated. The second warning flag, unfaithfulness. This doesn't take much time. If he's not faithful to you now, he's probably not gonna be faithful when you get married. A ring is special and it's expensive but it doesn't stop this, okay? You've got to see this. If this is an ongoing struggle, be prepared for that struggle to carry on into marriage. It's just gonna hurt a whole lot worse and cost a whole lot more money, okay? So if they are unfaithful in relationships now. Now, does this mean God can't heal this? Absolutely not. God can. But if he's struggling with it right now with you, you probably need to break it off, give him some time to figure this stuff out. If she's struggling with this, you need to break it off, give her some time to figure it out. And then if you so happen to find yourselves back together, then you can start afresh. But if there's a struggle now, there's a really good indication there'll be a struggle later. Where there's smoke, oftentimes there's fire. And so be prepared for that. Be understanding about that. But be diligent with that. It's not worth risking your future marriage on. Number three, be careful with this one, but I think it's important. If you are one that spends a lot of time with the opposite gender, okay, I've, I've known some people throughout my life that for whatever reason, they just connect with the opposite sex. That's just, they have better friends, the girls, they love the guys. It's just where they feel more connected, the girls gossip and all, whatever they come up with. But here's what I want to warn you. If that's you and you carry that into your married life, your husband or your wife are gonna constantly wonder and doubt and second guess. And so this isn't something that you have to necessarily 
nicks, but it's something you need to really think about because this isn't something you want to carry over into marriage. What happens when you spend time alone with the opposite, opposite gender, opposite sex? It opens up opportunity, and it also opens up a whole nother style of affair, which is the emotional affair. And for the ladies, that can be more devastating, as crazy as this may sound. An emotional affair could be more devastating than a physical affair. The idea that you spent time, got close with another woman, allowed another woman to invade a place that your wife thought was only yours can be almost as devastating. And so when we spend time with opposite genders, we open up these doors. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it's far better to be safe. So as a single, if you're the one that says, I only hang out with guys, that's just, that's just who I like, well, that's, that's great. But you better be prepared to change that when you get married or you're going to have some real problems and potentially your own self having some problems falling into trouble, okay? These are just words of caution, but I think they're important. Number four, pre-marriage sex or sexual acts or anything in between, all right? Listen, here's what I want to say. This, obviously, this is an honest struggle. The longer you date, the harder this becomes. And I could be the guy to help you all out and just say, listen, I know it's hard. Just hang in there and ask for forgiveness. I'm not gonna do that because I love you too much. If you will set firm, firm boundaries and guardrails, this won't be an issue. If you don't set firm boundaries and guardrails, this will be an issue. If you're constantly alone with each other, it's gonna be an issue. If you set up detailed plans that help us. I heard a story one time, I thought this was great. The girl invited her new boyfriend over to her apartment. He came to the front door. She opened up the door and she said, hey, poke your head in there and look at my apartment. He looked and he goes, oh, that's cool. She goes, that's great. You're never gonna see it again until we're married. And he was like, that's what, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, great idea. Like, that's exactly what I thought. And inside he's going, why did I think of that first? Like, that was so, but the reality is what? We're gonna set guardrails. Like, this isn't gonna happen. We're going to, not because I don't want it, that's not the point, but because I care about you enough. Why? Because here's the deal. Most of your relationships, I'm sorry if you're sitting with the one right now, it's not going to work out. 99.9% of all relationships fail, fail, not kind of make it, they fail. Why? Because you only marry one person. And almost every one of you in this room have dated at least one other person than the one you're going to marry, some significantly more. When you embrace this idea, two things happen. You date differently, it's a lot more fun. And then when you break up, you go, high five, you were awesome. See you later, there's someone better. And everyone's cool with that, other than, oh my gosh, my life is over, I can't believe it, I'm gonna write a book so we can cry some more and eat ice cream. So that's not how it's supposed to be. But the other thing happens, and that is that you don't start messing around or sleeping with every person that you date so that when you stand at the altar across from that one you love so much that you're committing your whole life to, and I will be there with you through thick and thin, through health or sickness, or if you're rich or not, preferably rich, but that's okay. While you're standing there, you won't say, but I have to tell you, I'm giving you everything, but really I'm only giving you what's left over from the guys that have come before you. So when we begin to think about the heart behind it, we begin to think about people rather than our actions. It changes the way we look at this. And here's what I want to say. Here's why it's a warning flag. If he or she, mutual problem here, can't control themselves now, what's to say 
they're going to control themselves later. It's not a guarantee. Please hear that carefully. But what a great warning sign that if I've asked him, I don't want to do this with you because I care about the Lord and my relationship with him and our relationship, yet he is continually, continually. What is to say he's not going to do that with someone else down the road? Again, not a guarantee, but a really great warning flag. And if I could just say something that's only for you because you are adults, but I love you, and so I'm going to speak honestly and truthfully and a little bit awkwardly to you, here's what I want to say. You, and gentlemen, this is really for you, but ladies, it extends to you. We have got to think with our heart, not our reproductive parts. Listen, when you stop fulfilling your desires and you can look across the table and say, no matter how much I want this, that is a daughter of God and of parents and probably as hard as it is to say, we're not going to make it. And I care about her and even her future husband that much. I know some of you may not say that, but the real world, that's what it should look like. That I care that much about the future that I'm willing to put my own selfish desires aside for a moment. Is it easy? No. We wouldn't be talking about it if it was. But is it important? You betcha. You betcha. And it is a warning flag to what could be a problem in the future. So I want us to be diligent with this. I want us to be so careful. Last one is family environment, family history. Uh, This isn't for everyone, but for some of you, you grew up in homes where your parents maybe had uh, affairs. Uh, Maybe it was something that they just dealt with. Uh, Some do that. Maybe it was something that broke a marriage apart, but then they got married again, then they did it again, then they did it again. Or maybe you just grew up in an environment where where Christian uh, guidelines and, and, uh, and biblical views and things like that were not part of the culture. And so to them, this really wasn't that big of a deal. And so what I want to say to you is you want to be careful. Uh, if you have someone that's coming from a line of adultery in their family, it's not a guarantee that they're going to do that. Most people want to break the chain, but it is a really good warning sign that their foundation may be different than your foundation. And so these are important things to consider. Again, with all of these, please proceed cautiously. This doesn't mean, okay, because every one of you have one of these, okay? So it doesn't mean you are now null and void for getting married because you're probably going to commit adultery. But these are wonderful things for us to think about and be honest about. And hey, guess what? If we'll spend more time thinking and talking about these things and how to protect ourselves, we'll spend less time making mistakes together. Right? These are great topics for conversation for those of you who've been dating for a while, especially for those of you that are transitioning into maybe those next steps. This is really important. Adultery is a really big deal. It plagues the family, and Satan loves, he loves to use it as one of his strategies. And the best one, we'll go back to number one, is he makes you think that pornography is not a big deal. And it is. And for most of us, that will be what breeds us into trouble if we're not careful right now. So be sure you get some help. Finally, last one, just real quick so we can fly through this and get out of here. Number eight, do not steal. Again, you're going, not my struggle. I'm good. Well, probably not. In the world we live in today, this is a big deal. Think about it. We have fences. We have alarm systems. You have a key code on your phone. You have chips on your card. Why can't I just swipe my card? Why do I need a a passcode too? All right, because of theft. 
Because stealing is a big deal. But then some of us go, well, well, what does it really mean to steal? Like, is there boundaries or guidelines? To steal is to take anything from someone else that doesn't belong to you or that you don't have the rights to. To take anything else. And some of you are like, well, I haven't done that in a long time. Did you steal the towel at the gym today? Busted. I did that the other day on accident. That's why I said it, so I feel bad. Now I took it back today and I dropped it off, all right? But there's so many ways we don't think about music and movies on the internet. Wow, just not download one, I mean, turn it into two, and then I have my whole little library collection over there. But I'm just using it temporarily. They're not going to notice. There's so many ways we can harm each other, or we, more importantly, can participate. We've got taxes. We've got all kinds of things. Now, and here's what I want you to see before we go. There's no exception here, just like there wasn't last week. There's no exception. There's no Robin Hood moments where you get to steal from the rich and give to the poor and that be okay. There's no exceptions. If they're arrogant, if they're ungrateful, or if they have two of something and they only need one, so you took it because they won't even care. The reality is if you take anything that doesn't belong to you, but here's what I want you to see. There's another element, not just stealing from each other, but stealing from God. And this is the big one. Three ways. Our tithing, our gifting, and our time. Or tithing. This is not a message about tithing, but let me talk about this for a moment. God has asked that you would give back to him that which he has already given to you and, and ultimately that which he already owns. This is a great practice for you to begin now, even if you're going to have $10 in my bank account. This is something that you can develop. This is a practice that you can begin getting used to, begin to see why it matters, and then begin to see the fruit of what you're giving. But God has asked us clearly all throughout the scriptures now, 10% is a pretty good standard. That's what we see throughout the scriptures. And so if you want to start somewhere, that's a great place to start. But the reality is what God has given us, his desire is that we would give back to him. And by the way, we don't give to God so that he'll bless us with more, okay? Now, when you look through the scriptures, it does say when we're faithful to God, he's typically faithful to bless us. But that doesn't mean you're going to get more money. So don't put $10 in and go, I can't wait to get my $100 back. This is going to be great, all right? Or try that and see how it goes, Okay. But God is faithful, but we give to him because he deserves it. And really, it's already his. And then whatever he decides to do and bless us with, praise the Lord, we'll take it. Second thing is our gifting. Listen, every one of you as a believer in Jesus Christ have spiritual gifts that have been laid upon you that are unique to most of the people sitting around you. We have some similar across the broad spectrum, but it's unique. This is by God's design. By the way, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, I'm going to give you another link really quick. We'll post this online later so you don't have to write it down. But bit.ly slash prodigy test. Prodigy test. We did this many, many, I guess a couple years ago, we did a spiritual gift series. And we dealt with all this and helped you kind of discover your gifting. Now, these tests are important because what they do is open your eyes. They don't guarantee that this is what your gifting is, but they point you in a direction to help you navigate this. But God has gifted you. And so when you don't use your gift within the church, you're taking away from an, an opportunity for the church to be blessed by what God's gifted you to do. And so since we're all gifted differently, when you don't show up, there's essentially a hole where you would have been serving. And so I want you to discover your gifting. I want you to put that into practice and to develop it and to use it for the glory of God because he's given it to you to be used to build up the body of Christ. And then finally, your time. Uh, when, uh, usually connected with spiritual gifts is service, but I want to say this specifically. You serving the Lord now. Listen, you, some of you I know are going, I am so busy. I am the busiest I've ever been in my life. 
here's one thing I can promise you. That phrase will be what you say for the rest of your life. This is the busiest I've ever been in my life. I'm gonna ask you next year. This is the busiest I've ever been in my life. And 10 years from now, this is the busiest I've ever, why? Because you finish school, you get a job, you start paying bills, then you get married, big chunk. Then you start having kids, even bigger chunk. And then you still gotta have a job and you still gotta pay the bills and now you're responsible for the kids and now you gotta work and then you gotta serve the Lord too. Listen, if we don't start now developing this part of who we are as a believer in Jesus Christ rather than something we just go and do, it's gonna be a real struggle later on. And so find your way now. Begin to serve the Lord now. Make that a priority. Listen, I know you're in school and I know you're working, but use the best you can. Take those schedules and then carve out time. You say, Lord, this is for you. I serve the church. I serve my Bible study. I lead a small group, whatever I'm going to do. But Lord, I want to give you this time because it matters. And I'm trusting that as I build this into my DNA, just like giving, as I do this now with even just a little bit I have, you're going to help me to sustain that all the way through. One of the saddest things I see, and it makes sense because they got married. One of the saddest things is when people move from single life into married life, they just disappear from the church. Because they go, I got a wife. I have no time. But it really happened. Most of the time, they didn't ingrain it into who they were. It was something they were just doing because they had some free time. The Lord wants our time, and so I want to encourage you to give it to him. So here's my final thoughts, just to close this down. All of these are generated from the heart. It all comes from the heart. If the Lord is Lord of your life, and he is the one navigating, and he is the one directing you, listen, this won't be hard. You really aren't going to have a desire to go murder people. Because the Lord is directing your life. If the Lord is directing your life when you get married and even now and all those warning signs leading up, listen, you are not going to want to commit adultery because you know it's against God and your spouse. Those that stay committed to the Lord, it's not a guarantee, but they are far better set up to avoid the temptations and the desires because their focus is on the Lord and honoring him. And it's the same thing with stealing. Listen, when we realize who we are in Christ and that these other people matter, we look across the table at him or her or them, our job, our company, all the hours we cut, all the things we do that we don't think is stealing, but it is. When we look at this with the heart of God and we say, listen, this man's trying to run his business. If I don't like it, I need to leave. If I like it, then I need to do whatever they've asked me to do and not cut corners and not take advantage. When we see things through the eyes of God, when our heart is centered and focused on him, these things don't become things we're trying to hold on to, but they become natural byproducts of who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. And so don't leave here going, I don't know how I'm going to do all of this. I really hope that's not a struggle for you, especially the first one. But leave here going, think about it, it's okay. But leave here saying, you know what? If I can put my attention, my focus, and my direction on the Lord, I'm confident that I can walk and say, here's what's awesome. Here's what's awesome. As you start studying the Bible, and you're sitting in church, and you're listening to a message, things are going to pop, and you're going to go, ooh, man, I didn't think about that. But I've been doing that. And instantly you're going to go, oh, I need to fix that right now because I want to honor the Lord. I want to honor the people around me. That's going to happen because we're always going to be imperfect. But if we don't build these guidelines and these boundaries and we don't pursue the Lord, those things are never going to happen. So it all generates from the heart. Where's your heart at? Where's your desire? Those first four commandments, have you made those a priority? 
that you're going to have no other gods. There's going to be no thing, no item, no object, no career, no nothing that gets in the way. That's the basis that leads us here. And if we do that, man, these aren't going to be a problem. In fact, they're going to be a joy to fulfill because what's driving us is bigger and it's the power of the Holy Spirit.